to the second part of the conversation that I'm having with Oliver. We are continuing the chat that we are having about the coronavirus and the impact that it's going to have on the ordinary person. So, of course, the last time when we were speaking, um, I think the last thing that you said was that we're something about 40%. 40% unemployment. 40% unemployment, yes. Well, if you speak to government, they'll tell you, no, unemployment is sitting at 29.3%, 29.6%, which is not true because it depends on the definition of unemployment. Mm -hmm. But here's the real number. Four in ten households mm -hmm. in South Africa don't have an income. Right? Four in ten so households. Income? What do you no income. No income. At best, maybe. Not even, even like social grants. No, but you, you don't count. That. No, you don't count as an income. Because That's social grant, social grant is a safety net. It's not a lot of money. The best it's you can not. do with social grant money is just buy enough food for like two weeks. Mm. You, if we're being honest about it, True. right? So outside of social grants, four out of ten households here don't have an income, mm. which is crazy because some households have two incomes, some households have three incomes. And you sometimes know? even in a household with three incomes, those incomes are never enough. So They're never enough, yeah. It's always quite relative. Yeah, so think about it. Four out of ten households here don't have an income. That number's about to get much worse. Much, much, You're, much worse. I am very distraught about the situation in South Africa. Um, I'm also just like personally not prepared for what's going to happen because when I sat down and I thought about this. I mean, when China was going through it, you know, I never quite cared all that much. I was just like, oh, shit, my China, guess all, you know? Yeah. But then eventually at some point, I was just like, wait, what is this coronavirus doing to the Chinese economy? And then I started thinking about what the coronavirus would do to our economy. And the clothes that hit home, for me, it was twofold. Well, it was onefold, actually. For me, I had a sense that after this virus, sure, whatever poverty that we had now is going to like double or it's, it's going to be three times three times as much but i also just thought like in the wrong in the long run is it setting in motion for ir you know i mean i'm not very well versed in these things and i could be wrong in saying that this coronavirus is setting in motion for ir for example i will be working from home for the next um 21 days you know so and for me, I'm. if I was an employer, I was going to look at the people who the business survives without. So if this person is not working or is unable to work from home and the business is somewhat able to stay afloat or even break even at best, I don't need that person anymore because you are like in a salary that I have to pay. So you're more or less like a liability because now yeah. that's money coming out of my pocket as an employer that I wouldn't be able to recover. But if the business, sorry, if the business can do without you, then I'm going to do without you. I have a sense and I'm very fearful of people who are working in spaces where retrenchment is very prone. Yeah. I feel like after this, this Corona pandemic, maybe not in the first month of returning, but no, even, even like right now already retrenchments are happening. So? Right now okay, already as we're speaking. As we're speaking, people are being told hey, Which companies? Like many bro, like people are being told, yo, go home. Um we'll pay you a month's salary, but we can't guarantee you a salary after that if we haven't recovered from this. That's a retrenchment. You know? 
So it may be a pending retrenchment, but you know, chances are you're probably gonna get retrenched. So, I mean, yeah, I think it is, it is kind of like a, encouraging a great deal of innovation, but it's not innovation per se. We're using resources that already exist. We're not creating new resources and starting to use those, yeah. right? So it's not for IR per se. Okay. I think also maybe, yeah, look, yeah, in South Africa we call anything that has to do with a computer for IR also, <laughs> because for IR has a lot to do with uh, metadata and, 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 and artificial intelligence okay. and machine learning and those sort of things. Will it inspire for IR in that sense? Yes, I will. Yes, it will, because I've, I, I got this one. I got this one dude that I that I spoke to right at a tech conference. Mm -hmm. he, he 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 his company's name is FinTechBot. Okay. Uh, financial tech bot. That's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, this homie designed a machine learning, a machine that does machine learning and artificial intelligence that literally can replace call center agents. Ooh. Quite literally. Like, you could call it in any of the official languages in South Africa. Mm -hmm. You could call it in Isizulu and ask it to help you the same way you would an, a call center agent mm -hmm. and you'll be spoke speaking to a, a, a an machine and you, you will be speaking yeah right which is a machine and it speaks to you in your local dialect and vernacular it, it knows it's quicker than an actual agent would have been yeah. a human body would have been because it's artificial intelligence yeah. and it's cheaper and it's not that's for IR right that is machine learning artificial intelligence that is what it is now yeah so I will see more and more companies going that route, mm. right? Think about every single bank, major bank has a call center. Every single major insurance company has a call center. Every single major retailer has a call center. Service providers. Service providers all have call centers. Mm. Now, if, if call centers are being replaced by bots, they can continue running their business, right? It's a I bot. Mean, it's can... somewhat saving a fraction of the money because obviously companies have to put in money in maintaining those robots, but not as much Spotless. money. Spotless. 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 Yeah. Not as there's not as much admin in having robotic assistants or whatever, as opposed to human beings. Because when you employ a human being, there are labor law requirements that you have to adhere to. Right. But if your waiter was a robot, quite literally. <laughs> You could, as an employee, you could slap the robot, yeah. right? You could take yeah. out your anger and frustration in on the fact, robot and the you'll ro be good. In fact, if the robot got any tips, the tips would come to you Exactly, as an employer. but and who's going to tip a robot though? Capitalism. Okay, well, I wouldn't tip a robot, but you know how yeah. restaurants are sleeping. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, can you contribute 10%? And I'm just like, my man. Yeah. It's a robot. Why? What gratuity <laughs> cost? You're crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yo, I'm really, I don't want to lie to you, Oliver. I'm just like really scared at the trajectory or like the direction that this country is taking um i'm really scared because i know a lot of people that are not gonna make it if this 4ir goes into full motion yeah like you know what's gonna happen and in as much as i know that um the replace robots replacing the workforce the human workforce is going to create like a new space of work because obviously you need people to maintain the robots you need yeah, people yeah. to ensure that the robots are I in heard, working conditions i heard and i don't know how true this is yeah i heard from a guy his name is turvin okay turvin works for the nyda is it the nyda no no, no i'm lying it's not the nyda 
uh, I think it might be the National Empowerment Fund or something like that. Okay. Turvin, ha they have a budget of half a billion that they were meant to be spending on businesses, but they were supposed to be doing early stage funding. Okay. So by early stage funding, I mean you have an idea, I like the idea, I fund you. Typically, no one funds ideas. Ideas, yeah. People fund things that already exist, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. you kind of have to be at a certain stage in your business cycle for you to qualify for funding. Um, and part of the problem is we don't fund ideas. And what they were going to do with that half a billion from government is they were going to fund ideas, right? Okay. I was speaking to him and a lot of the ideas they were going to fund were tech business ideas. And I was like, aren't you guys worried about jobs being replaced, you know, by automation and, sorry, automation and, um, and, and artificial intelligence and machine learning? And they were like, nah. They had, they, I don't know how true this is, so I'm telling you other people's numbers, <laughs> right? So don't hold me to this. But apparently, for every one tech job created, there are seven non-tech jobs created to support that tech, tech job. Yeah, apparently so. Okay. I don't know, okay. right? So, so if we take tech serious, we might be able to rescue the economy. But I think just going back to what we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. will the will this lockdown and the stage of coronavirus change the adaption and adopting of technology mm -hmm. in workplaces? And will that be a good thing? I think yeah. Think about it like this, bro. You 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 don't work with a machine. You don't work with in a factory, right? Mm -hmm. If we're being honest about it, you if you had good internet at home and a laptop, you never needed to go to work unless you as a lawyer have to go to court or perhaps meet with a client to consult and even then you could do it over the phone, True. right? Why do you go to the office? I don't know, it makes my employer feel good that right. I'm Exactly, right? It's a I'm psychological thing. my time being at the office. They want to be able to surveil you, that's what's happening, right? Really? Employers just want to be able to see you to make sure that you're working so that they're satisfied that they pay you a salary you deserve. This is a lot, man. This is like, <laughs> this so is think exhausting. about it. Now you have to work at home. Mm -hmm. And if you're productive over the 21 days, your employer is going to realize, ain't like, Mara, why are you here? I, I don't need to keep you here. I don't, I don't need to, right? And so I think it's going to build trust. This is either going to break trust between mm -hmm. some employers, employees, and it's going to build trust between other employees and employees. Mm -hmm. So don't mess it up for us, y'all. Right, don't mess it up. Yeah. Because if, if, if you're able to deliver from home or remotely mm. they'll trust you and you'll be able to continue working like that mm. you know and so i think that is a, is a really really good thing so it, it will kind of change the vibe but we don't have that big of a service sector not yet sorry. not yet a lot of our workers are still like manual mm. laborers mm. miners construction workers uh, people in the logistics space delivery guys running a shop retail workers um, if we think about doctors, doctors yeah. can't consult remotely. You kind of have to, well, they can actually. Doctors have been consulting remotely a lot. I recently went to the doctor. Yeah. Um, I went to this clinic at, um, at Campus Square. It's now no longer there, but it was there. It was so cheap, like consultation fee was like mad cheap. But basically you get to the clinic, there's a nurse. The nurse takes your vitals. You describe your symptoms to the nurse. The nurse kind of gets an idea of what's going on and the nurse then dials a doctor on Skype. The doctor answers on Skype and basically you and the doctor speak to each other and then the doctor would be like, okay, looking at your vitals, 
versus the symptoms and the conversation we just had. This is what's wrong with you. This is the medication I prescribe. The nurse writes the prescription for you. The doctor signs the prescription virtually. You take the prescription, you go to the pharmacy next door, you get your medication and you go home. Literally, that's the process. Um, so doctors have been doing that. But anyway, that's, that is not even 4IR, but that is innovating and thinking forward. But the vast majority of our workforce need to be on the roads, need to be in buildings. Do you get what I'm saying? So those people, their working relationship and condition won't change, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. If you're a carpenter, bro, you got to go back after 21 days, you know? So for them, life will be will be like still the same still the same but for those in the service space um even even like myself as broadcasters man uh, there's a lot of things that can be done I, my one homie aldrin sampier he's a he's a radio broadcaster at uh, power fm mid-morning show between 9 and 12 fantastic show y'all gotta check it out um aldrin was post posted on his instagram just yesterday that he's broadcasting a show from home Oh, I saw. I think I saw you said something about that. Yeah, he's from home. He's got the OB kit, mm -hmm. uh, outside broadcasting kit. He's sitting at home and he's broadcasting his show. What else do you need? What else do you need? Right? When I was, when I, I, I used to work for this television news network a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I used to have to go to studio uh, to, to, to be on air, right? Yeah. I used to be mad lazy sometimes. Because their studios used to be in Midrand, bro, and I lived in Glanfontein at the time. And traffic on the N12 sometimes, especially because I used to do primetime TV, right? So uh, traffic to and fro was bad. Even if they, I used to have a driver that would come pick me up and then take me home. And even then I was like, I'm not trying to move. I'm not trying to sit in the traffic. Um, or oh, I don't feel like leaving the house. They used to send a crew to my crib, dog. And the crew used to be one guy. The guy had a camera, he had the microphone set, he had the sender receiver thing. Yeah, yeah. And basically I'd be in my crib and then we would do TV from my house. So, you know, it changes even those spaces and I think that's a good thing. Getting ready for um, innovation for slash for our or whatever anyone wants to call it. We obviously have to change the nature in which the next generation is socialized um, yeah. and the way in which they are educated. And I mean, my view has always been that the way that we were assessed in school is not effective because effectively, and this is just me venting on the side, but how we were taught in school and how we were assessed was basically to test our memory, right? Yes. Um, but go, moving forward, that's not going to be a great way to assess people because that's not where the world is moving. And we don't want to be yeah. a country that's always playing catch up. We want to eventually, you know, somewhat be on par with, at yeah. some degree anyway, with some of the um, developed countries. What are some of the ways that you reckon that education can be tweaked for our next generation to be well equipped for where the world is going? Two things. First, it matters what is being taught, mm -hmm. and then it matters how it's being taught, right? Okay. So how it's being taught is changing. What is being taught is not changing as much. Yeah. Uh, it's not changing fast enough, at least, right? So what is being taught has a lot to do with pedagogy. It has a lot to do with the actual uh, epistemic part of a curriculum. Yeah. And if the textbook isn't changing, then then it's tough, right? We're still gonna play catch up. But education is one half what is being taught and another half how it's being taught. And I think how it's being taught 
is also changing because we don't have, I don't think we have a culture of independent learning in this country. No. OEB was meant to achieve that and then it didn't achieve that. But, and I think it's coming now as a result of the coronavirus. Because now kids have to be homeschooled. Now parents have to see what's happening in the textbook. So this morning, 25 March, uh, this morning, um, it was announced, uh, government announced two interventions. Mm -hmm. Kids are at home, right? Schools are closed, but yeah. kids still have to learn. So government announced two things. Well, one thing effectively, which is there are over 300 radio stations in South Africa. Yeah. Oh, I heard that because FM will be offering um, lessons yeah. to students. Yeah, there are over okay. 300 radio stations in this country. The vast majority of them are community stations. Mm. So now community stations are being turned into a classroom. Ooh. So even the most remote areas will have access to learning and teaching material. Mm. So all community radio stations will be doing lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, of course, there's a PBS, so they'll, they'll be one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but not as much because, of course, it still kind of has to make profit, right? They still have to sell advertising and that. Yeah. And um, community stations don't run on profit models. Yeah. Um, and DSTV, multi-choice along with the government will be launching two new education channels that will literally have lessons. SABC used to do this back in the day. I remember. Right, right. I used to, I used to watch, I used to watch um, uh, uh, those things. I also used to watch the DSTV one on the months we could afford to pay DSTV. What was it called? Mindset Learn. That's what it. The one off the channel. It was off the channel. Oh. Depending on which direction you're scrolling, but it was like. The next channel is channel O, the next, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to make sure you know the yeah. option. <laughs> Damn, yeah. I didn't know that. What was it, like 325 or some shit? 312 312, yeah, yeah, it was I something like that. I think it's still 312. Oh, the channel like, still exists? I think so. Damn. I think so. Well, I, I haven't had a TV in like 10 years, 10, yeah, 11 years. So, I okay. um, so, yeah, so government's doing that. But now it means parents and families and households become part of the education. And if they succeed at that, that's a culture that's going to stay with us. And that's a good thing. Because it now means that there's a set, there's a sense of independence in the learners in terms of taking control of their own learning and teaching facilitated by parents. Yeah. And I think that will impact us positively because it means now finally kids will read for understanding because they have to read to their mom yes. and dad at home. And, yeah. You know, and I think that is, 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 is a big... It's amazing how government realized in the last couple of days what they're capable of. Like... These dudes <laughs> didn't even know they were able to provide shelter for homeless people and now that there's a lockdown, they realized... It's not, you know, alas, but it's not that they didn't realize. I just think that the government didn't, didn't want, want to. to. Now they have they to. They didn't want to. Now, we're having a pandemic that's shutting Niggas down the whole scrambling. world. Niggas are scrambling. Man, think about it. the resources coming from all of a sudden? Think about it like this. In 2018, I was broadcasting radio at YFM. Yeah. In 2019, I was broadcasting radio at 702. On both those stations, exactly a year apart, I did a week long of interviews about a national shutdown of women who were sick and tired 
of being abused and raped in this country and government yeah. standing by doing nothing. And so they shut down the country, right? Yeah. So there was the August 1 shutdown in 2018 that led to Ramaphosa's, uh, I don't know. Disappearance, call it for what it yeah. is. But then he, he, our he president came, disappeared amidst a crisis. And then he I came on TV him. and he's like, wait, he, he took the memorandum from, from the women who were protesting at the yeah. union buildings. And it was like, we will have a, a conference. A, Why? We will have a, what did you call it? We are the, such an investigative country. Right. Every time there's ever something so that's going on in this country. I think this is the first time with the coronavirus. It's the first time that I'm not hearing the country saying, oh, someone spoke person saying, we are going to investigate. investigate. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Thank so, you for the realization, Think about man. that. So Ramaphosa came and he's like, now we'll have like a three-day conference in November. Um, and women, we are going to listen to your issues and your yeah. cries. We're going to make a plan. They had that. And then they had another one in 2019. I don't even remember. Like recently. They recently, shut down Santa, yeah. right? Recently. And Ramaphosa then came back after that and he was like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll I government pledges one billion rand to fighting the scourge of gender-based violence how, in this country. Wait, but also, a billion rand, okay, right? But how are you, what are you, what's that billion going to do? Doesn't matter. Doesn't okay, matter, right? Okay. For the purposes yeah, of this conversation. It took this guy two years to find a billion rand. Coronavirus hit and he finds 2.7 billion overnight, literally overnight. But you need to understand, you need to understand also the in whose interests the coronavirus exactly. is going to affect because gender-based violence doesn't affect men, most men. And it doesn't affect it businesses' doesn't, bottom line. It lines. doesn't affect most businesses. I mean, yeah. if one of the employees was hit by their spouses, it's going to be like, oh, shame, take a day off. But that's a day off your leave days but take a day off nonetheless and it's not going to impact the business but all of, all of a sudden hashtag capitalism here is something that's going to affect our pockets exactly we've got money exactly exactly so and if you if you were if you listen to the conversation around coronavirus when it first started in china the conversation i wasn't hearing was about people dying about communities being shut down the conversation I was hearing, and this is not a lie, this was CNN coverage and this was everyone else's coverage. Yeah. Due to the coronavirus, the stock market has taken a knock of 2% today. I was, I was in Cape Town for the budget speech in, uh, in, in, in February, right? So yeah. like exactly a month ago, actually. Literally a month ago, off today. I, I, was having, I, was having lunch at, I was having lunch at a friend's uh, restaurant in Cape Town. Um, and a friend of his came by the restaurant to, 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 to just hang out, I guess. And the day before that, the JSE All Share Index had, was knocked down by 4%, 4% the previous day. Now, 4% is a lot in terms of All Share Index. And the homie came and he was like, he's an old Jewish guy, he's like 85 years old, lives in Seapoint, takes walks. And, and he said to us, a friend of his lost 150 million rand yesterday, the day before, because the JSE contracted by 4%. Now, if the JSE contracts by 4% and you lose 150 million, you're rich, rich. You're rich, rich. You know? So that's the conversation about coronavirus. It has been the impact on 
the JSE and the All Share Index yeah. and the markets, it hasn't been the human and social cost of it. I mean, that's and the human also, cost is real. And that's why also there were a couple of people who were more worried about the effect of the shutdown or the lock, the lockdown on the economy as opposed to the effect on individuals and like what this is going to do because in as much as obviously it's going to have an impact on the economy but on the individual and I heard someone it's just that I didn't stay long enough to listen to this conversation but I heard someone speak about a form of depression that will overwhelm people in this period of the lockdown and post the period of the lockdown with you know, I I don't quite get the economic depression or depression caused I, I by the like economics. No, no, individuals. Like individuals who are already struggling um, mentally and whatever. So I don't know what that chat is about. But I'm my, I say this to say that um, there wasn't much concern about what human beings or how human beings are yeah. going to be affected in as affected in as much as how the economy is going to be affected. So. People put their money where their interests are. That's that's just my chat. Yeah, so I mean, we know what government is capable of. I just think, you're going forward, we can't demand any less. We know Ramaphosa has the ability to find 3 billion rand overnight. Yeah. Right? So yeah. he must go find 3 billion rand for land restitution. He must go find 3 billion rand yeah. for gender-based violence. He must go find 3 billion rand for malnutrition in children. He must go find three billion rand higher education for everywhere okay we must find 300 billion for that <laughs> but we know he's resourceful and we know that the private sector can be resourceful was he a great president for the time that we are faced with i think it was difficult to not be a great president mm -hmm. right a big part of being president of anything is just listening to the people around you and i think what ramaphosa did here was just listen to the experts he yeah. listened to the doctors, he listened to the economists, he listened to the CEOs, he listened to the NGOs, he listened to faith-based communities, he listened to, he just listened. He did the bare minimum. And so, thank you, but if we're going to celebrate it as a big achievement of leadership, then we're praising a fish for swimming. But to be quite honest with you, Oliver, this is the first president, and this is my opinion anyway, maybe uninformed, inform me because you're in a better position. Um, but to be quite honest with you, my opinion is that he is the first president to ever be faced with the real challenge. I mean, all the other presidents, it was just, you know, just corruption here, Tabo Mbegi with the HIV thing, but you know, we, it wasn't as... HIV was a real thing. I know, was, I know, was, I know. It was as big as this. I know, I know, and at that time it was like... He failed. He failed, yes. Yeah. Well, I do want to put it... What did, he, what did he say? Uh, his, his, his Minister of Health at the time was Mandu Chawalalam Yeah, Simang. he must eat lots of vegetables. Oh, no, she said specifically garlic and beetroot. <laughs> yeah, she said that. I remember, eat. I remember. Because beetroot apparently replenished your blood and garlic boosted your immune system. Lo and behold, how many people live with HIV in South Eight Africa? Million. Do you know how many so people, well, and also like a lot of people died before ARVs were dispersed yeah. and then Jacob Zuma came and fixed it. Um, and shout out to him, man. Shout out to him for doing that. Uh, Mandela was faced with a big crisis. Which was? Uh, the transition from apartheid. Uh, 90, was 93, 94 was very violent. The IFP and the ANC people were killing each other okay. in the streets okay. in 93. Okay. That was a big crisis. Um, and history judges Mandela positively for that, right? I mean, okay, I'm not going to speak from a perspective of Mandela because at that time I was either not born or not cognizant of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I was just born. Okay, grandfather. No, I was born 
93 November, right? So I'm technically a born free. Um, yeah, so maybe I think I think this is the first crisis in our mature democracy. Yeah, of the scale. But I think what makes this crisis different from any other crisis we faced before is that it's a global pandemic. Oh, okay. Right? So it's not just Ramaphosa suffering from it, it's the whole world suffering from it. I think that's perhaps the key difference in this one. So, it's kind of like if you sit back and fold your hands and do nothing, you stand out as a horrible president, not just amongst the presidents of the history of your country, but around worldwide, worldwide right? So yeah. that is the key difference. Right. Thank you so much, Oliver, for your time. It's a I pleasure. Really appreciate it. I hope to have you. Took you what two seasons to invite me? What? What do you mean? Two whole seasons to invite. What is it? Was, cool, you, I needed some brand alignment, Oliver. You know, I can't. I at some point. I was ready <laughs> since episode one, season one. I've been out here. Maybe you like know, I'll be invited gonna... back by season three. What? I'm definitely gonna invite you again. Um, this is a great chat. I think you and I always have great chats. They just never get like documented or whatever. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for the chat. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Uh, don't find me. Hey, <laughs> social distance. Wow. So on Twitter, his handle is at Oliver Speaks. Is Oliver handle? underscore speaking. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, it's just Oliver Dixon. Like the page and yeah, drop me, drop me something, man. On LinkedIn, it's just Oliver Dixon. You on radio this year? Yeah, I'm on 702. Um, at the moment, it's hard to tell you which show, but just oh, stay listening. Contract season. Huh? It's contract season. It's contract season. Um, it's hard to tell you which show because I've been doing multiple shows over the last couple of months. Yeah. Uh, so just stay listening. Uh, on the socials, I always tell people where it is. On YouTube, Oliver speaking. Like my channel. Subscribe. Watch my videos. Thank you. Bye. Bye.